Hello and welcome to the First 7-Inch Club, episode 77. First 7-Inch Club is a podcast where we dig up 7 inches from the past within the realms of hardcore punk and metal and discuss whether or not they're worth being remembered. We'll provide facts and trivia that we glean from the internet and our own personal experiences. Although we don't consider ourselves know-it-alls or experts, many other people do. Uh, we get some things wrong here and there. I think this episode, we should be 1,000% right. <laughs> if, we, if we aren't, you might be able to sue us. I am Mike, and with me is Scott. Mike, last week we were talking about you know 80s celebrities who stayed in the 80s or who mm-hmm. whose names are fading, we'll say, uh, yeah. as, as we get older and as kids don't give a shit about whatever they did. I have a lot of thoughts on that, but I, I, I'd get lost in the weeds, so I'm just going to focus on one. Recently, Discord member Jared showed us that he scored a bootleg DVD of the White Rapper Show, the VH1 <laughs> yeah. ego, ego Trip White Rapper Show. So I decided to rewatch that. Um, I'm not far enough into it to make that a topic. If anybody wants to join me on that journey, it's on YouTube. We can discuss it. I invite you. But I did get far enough to remember that I fucking hate MC Search. <laughs> I really find him very, and he's a very annoying dude. And then YouTube started recommending me MC Search stuff in the sidebar. So I was like, you know, well, I'm just going to watch it. I want to know more about this person that I hate. And so I saw him on this show called Drink Champs. And he basically just kind of sits around smoking a gigantic, awful cigar and bragging yeah. about what an amazing guy he is. And it didn't help my opinion much. Uh, but he's the most annoying type of storyteller. Like I can't really, I can't uh, articulate what that means. But if you just hit play anywhere, he's most likely going to be saying, "So there I was," or yeah. "You have to understand." You have yeah. to understand. People who tell stories like that, I fucking hate that. It's just, it's really <laughs> douchey. But um, so f- my first question is, uh, this is a very out of touch, you know, hello fellow kids question. How old is the phrase uh, "Give you your flowers"? I mean, as far as people using it like regularly now it's it's probably been a couple years yeah like re, but it's newer right it's like newer slang like yeah modern but i think it's based off of some old rickety kind of saying from back in the olden days but i'm not positive though mc search says it constantly and he's 55 he's a 55 <laughs> year old man and he just keeps saying like yeah well i gotta give you your flowers on that one well we all give him his flowers on that well i'll give that give that guy his he just keeps fucking saying it and it's driving <laughs> me up a wall he's an old man it's like hearing him say based or something it's, it's like Give it a rest, dude. Uh, but secondly, am, am I right to dislike MC Search? Like, I'm a late in life hip hop poser, and I always hated third base. But he seems like a really annoying dude. Is this? Oh no, he is an annoying guy. I think he did something like morally wrong, but I can't remember what it is now. Yeah, and uh, he kind of just brushed it off. Like, hey, what are you doing? It, it, I think it had to do with like stealing money or something. I can't remember, but it, yeah, it was something bad. But yeah, the last time I gave that guy a chance was uh, he he has a podcast. I don't know if I assume it's still going, but I'm not positive. But he did a white rapper reunion on there and i was like well i got to deal with mc search to hear that and it was horrible because you're right he's a horrible storyteller he's kind of just like trying to talk about himself the whole time and it's like you know dude if i wanted to listen to you talk about yourself i'd (laughs) listen to any other episode of your podcast but i want to hear these kids talk about their experiences yeah i i just hit play on a couple of the known third base like i hated him back then of course i was like a racist hip-hop hater when i was a kid (laughs) but i specifically like gas face felt like barely a song and I was very literal about things. So Pop Goes the Weasel being a song that complained about using a sample, but was using a <laughs> Peter Gabriel sample. <laughs> I loved Peter Gabriel as a kid, and I got really mad about that. <laughs> I got really upset. Like, but, 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 but they're using a sample. This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I was like really upset about that. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a super big. I kind of like Pete Nice. I like that he dresses up and that he combs his hair really nice. That's a cool name, too. Pete Nice is a really, really good rap name. So I'll give him I'll give him his flowers. But uh, yeah. I fucking hate MC Search. Also, 
Um, this week, someone also posted a very sick looking Diet Pepsi vintage watch on eBay. Yes. I didn't. I didn't get that. You didn't win it. Did you bid on it though? Right. I, I bid on it, but someone else bid. I, I bid a really low number, thinking I'd come back and check on it later. But eBay doesn't really give me good notifications. So it basically lets me know when I've lost for the most part. Yeah, it, it does that. It's like, oh, you, you better bid soon. And it's like yeah. literally a minute before, before yeah. the thing. So it's like, dude, give yeah. me an hour or something. Yeah. Fuck. And I don't check that email like constantly. So yeah. it, it just yeah. it goes into oblivion. Do you know how much it went for? It was only like 25 bucks or something Fuck, like that. that sucks, man. Yeah, with Fuck. shipping, I think it was like 25 bucks. I'm kind of pissed. Such a cool watch. Fuck. Yeah. I'm pissed. <laughs> I'm pissed. I, I'll find it again. Now that I know that, that that's an option, I'll find yeah. it. I'll find it. <laughs> but, you know, eBay will start showing you other things. It'll be like, hey, you missed that, but here's some other things. And it sent me on a very brief little journey. So back in the mid-60s, there was a minor hit song called Music to Watch Girls By. And it, it's an easy listening instrumental hit for Al Hurt with that honey in the horn sound. Mm-hmm. You, you know Al Hurt, that honey yeah. in the horn sound, Mike. Yes. It was it was also a minor hit for Andy Williams, who you may remember as singing the outro of our Christmas episode just like two episodes ago. <laughs> uh, and uh, this song, which was a hit for multiple people, traces its roots to a commercial where a very 60s madman babe is walking around, I think, the U.S. Capitol. We're a nation of sightseers, and this is one of our nation's most beautiful sights. The kind of girl girl watchers watch. The kind of girl who keeps her figure, keeps her cool. With the help of ice cold diet Pepsi Cola. One bottle. <laughs> and then she gets scoped out by a 70 year old guy in a bowler hat, like this John Steed looking dude in a bowler hat. And all of this takes place over this Austin Powers, like British mod spy music soundtrack or something. <laughs> And it's the source of all these 60s hits. It's by a composer named Sid Raymond, who also wrote the theme song for Candid Camera. Speaking of famous things that time is is forgetting as we speak. But anyway, pew, 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 new grail alert. This record is on eBay. <laughs> it has an awesome Diet Pepsi label. Uh, it's definitely the kind of record that's a thousand percent likely to be so scratched up. It looks like Charlotte's Web on, on both sides, no matter who's selling it. But it, this is a proven hit for three decades, Mike. I got to get it. And it's also kind of news to me. I didn't realize the name Diet Pepsi was way back then, 1964. Like I thought, I knew it was. It came out as Patio. That's what yeah. it was called for a little while. And then I thought I assumed that it went through all kinds of sneaky names because Diet Coke wasn't Diet Coke till the 80s. It was Tab. Yeah. And uh, and then it became Diet Coke in the 80s uh, to I guess to compete with Diet Pepsi. I would have thought for sure that Diet Pepsi had all these like sneaky like. Stay skinny, ladies. Uh, <laughs> names or something along the way. I am looking it up because I I have a diet Pepsi cook or Pepsi cookbook. Yeah. From uh, for those who don't know, <laughs> I collect cookbooks. It's not uh, I don't think I've ever mentioned that's not part of my lore on the show, but I collect old yeah. cookbooks. But uh, yeah, I think they were like, and that was like the early seventies, and they're like this new diet Pepsi. But but I'm looking yeah. now, and it says it was first tested in '63, so and it was introduced in '64. So I guess the the record was really trying to push it, push the yeah. propaganda of diet Pepsi on the people. I guess so. So it's it's time for me to demonstrate my dedication to the 35 pound tumor I've been growing since I was 16 with some crisp new vinyl. It's my, the next <laughs> record I'm going to buy. It's going to be music to watch girls buy by Diet Pepsi. I can't wait. <laughs> I'm sure that I'm sure that's a great record. The, yeah, the the cookbook I have, it's like there's a section I can't remember what it's called, but it is very like condescending, like the girl section or something, and it's all re- <laughs> it's all recipes with Diet Pepsi, like for yeah. for women watching their weight or something. It's called like that, and it's all just like shitty recipes, but also Diet Pepsi instead of normal Pepsi, and it, like that's supposed to help you. But I yeah, think even you- some of them have like Diet Pepsi with like you know artificial sweetener in them like pour, put more artificial sweetener in them or something like that it's, <laughs> yeah. it's ridiculous 
Yeah, dump dump some that the ones that say it kills rats. Uh, sweet, sweet and low. And low sweet yeah. and low used to just say right on the package. Like this has been known to kill fifty percent of every rat that's ever been in the yeah. room with it. So you know, enjoy this. Uh, first off, I just want to say Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year! It's it's a new year, new us. Uh, it's twenty it's twenty three. What are you gonna do? Uh, so, so yeah, there's that. Get that out of the way. Uh, first Seven Inch Club at Gmail dot com. If you have anything, Instagram. We're on Instagram. First Seven Inch Club. That's where I, I post all the stuff. Um, there's a link tree there. You could follow the links. All that good stuff. I also want to say I uh, have access to full sound now. Yeah. I, ha- I have a new uh, preamp thing. And so if you hear my breath, if you hear me breathing, um, I've always breathed, but now it's you could hear it even clearer. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Hopefully that goes away. Hopefully you don't hear it. say it's disrespectful of us to breathe. We should yeah. be trying not to. Yeah. But what are you going to do? That's, that's all this preamp seems to do is just pick up my breathing better. But <laughs> so hopefully it's not too annoying. Um, I guess we can get right into uh, this little ad for stateofmindrecordings.com. <laughs> little distro, a friend of ours, partner in crime, stateofmindrecordings.com. They have a little distro, and uh, every every episode I like to highlight a record from their distro for you to buy out there. Uh, they just got over a big, big, huge New Year's sale. It went on for about seven months. It's over. You blew it. Yep. If you you missed out on uh, basement bottom dweller prices, no more. Now you have to pay full price. Prices yeah. are doubled. Now. Price, prices are doubled now. Uh, I, I I just wanted to highlight a quick record: Kid Dynamite, shorter, faster, louder. I was going over their uh, their their stock the other day when I was looking to make an order to capitalize on that, that sale one last order and I saw this and I was like holy shit I didn't know they repressed this there's a 2020 repress of Kid Dynamite Shorter Faster Louder on Epitaph Records uh, stateofmindrecordings.com has it for $19.95 I'm, I'm gonna guess that's probably the cheapest you can get it as far <laughs> as like uh you know, in in like a store in brand new condition. I'm I'm not positive, but I'm gonna assume because no one even charges twenty dollars for new records anymore. Uh, this I don't think Kid Dynamite's shorter, faster, louder is as good as uh, their self-titled, but I think the self-titled is the greatest melodic hardcore record ever released. So it's hard to it's hard to beat that. So this is a good second runner-up. So, so uh, if you don't have this in your collection, I uh, I say uh, go out and get it from State of Mind Records. State of Mind Records. I'm sorry, State of Mind Recordings. Com. Uh, they only have $4 shipping, another thing that we're probably not going to get anywhere else, so uh, check that out. Yeah, I'm no, I, I don't own this record. I'm out in the cold. <laughs> uh, I'm not likely to own it this year at yeah. any time. So. <laughs> I, I want to give a shout-out to listener Pat, who I think I said last week sent us a couple of records from his own personal collection to uh, do. We're not doing one of those this episode because uh, I wanted to take it easy because it's uh, still a hol- holiday, holiday zone, and... Uh, you know, just doing a lot of drinking and being lazy and you know, <laughs> want to fucking think about hard shit. So we did a very easy record this week. But uh, Pat was actually just on that analog attack show that we talked about a few weeks ago that Nate was on um, oh. he, the YouTube channel. I think the YouTube channel is just analog attack. But yeah. um, they do like a little like recurring show on there called What Are You Listening To? And I think this one has Pat and Nate on it. So, yeah, I watched a few minutes of that. I don't think yeah. I clocked that he was on that. So I, I just kind of skimmed. It. Yeah, though, the guy named Pat on there is uh, a <laughs> next week. Next week, we'll be doing <laughs> We'll be doing one of his records from his right. own personal question. So, so yeah, if you haven't checked out Analog Attack yet, check that out. Also, this week, it was a very bad time to be a person that Mike likes because a couple of you <laughs> died. So, so just wanted to say rest in peace, Gangsta Boo from 3-6 Mafia. Uh, she, she, I guess, news that she passed away came out yesterday. I don't know if there's any update of like what she passed away from. She was only 43, so... 
you know, I'm sure it's not natural causes, but you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. So there's, it's hard to say. So, um, three, six mafia is probably one of my favorite rap groups, uh, if not my favorite. And, uh, you know, a lot of they're, now three of them are dead. So, so there's, yeah. there's, there's three left, three are dead. I got to see them. Um, well, I got to see like the bastardized version of three, six mafia, uh, right after, um, Lord infamous died. So, uh, so, so now I can't even see them with Gangsta Boo because she's gone too. But, um, but yeah, rest in peace, Gangsta Boo. Uh, another one, which is kind of, I know Gangsta Boo is a music person, so it, it would probably relate better to this show. But one that I think relates to what we usually talk about up top, which is usually nostalgic stuff, is uh, Don West passed away. Uh, yeah. Don West was probably, if you know Don West, um, you might know him from Impact Wrestling, TNA Impact Wrestling. He was a commentator there for a very long time. But if you're a weirdo of a certain age, like me and Scott, you might remember him from a show called Shop at Home, which wasn't a show. <laughs> it was just a channel, I guess. But um, that's how I like. I I watch wrestling. I'm a wrestling guy, but I never really watched Impact. Like I'd watch it here and there, and I was so pumped when he got hired for Impact because I always thought he would make a perfect wrestling commentator, and he did. He's very good at it. Uh, off the bat, he wasn't a wrestling fan before that. He just uh, jumped into it, and he was great. But before that, he was on a, a channel called Shop at Home, yeah. which if you are younger, you probably. I mean, I guess I guess home shopping still exists maybe i guess but yeah uh, HSN, i think it's still around yeah yeah HSN, but i mean yeah. no one knows like no young people watch it <laughs> it's like it's it's strictly 60 and up now like no one under 60 even knows what channel it comes on but back in the day that was a normal thing and uh even more normal i like it was weird because i was reading about it um after don west passed and i didn't know he started on shop at home in 1991 i definitely did wow. not know what shop at home was in 1991 uh so and I think when I got it, I don't think it was a 24-hour channel either. I think it came on at like 10 o'clock or something, like at night. And it was just like it took over for another channel that uh, their programming ended or something like that. But um, he, like when I like I found out about Don West, probably late 90s, mid to late 90s, um, he started off as a knife guy. <laughs> he was, yeah, he, right. he would Yeah, he would sell knives. And I was like, this is this is weird. This is cool. Um, but I watched it's not it real- all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he started off as a knife guy, but then he moved on to his real bread and butter, which was trading cards. And uh, this is where I fell in love with with Don West. He uh, sold the shit out of trading cards at a point in the era of trading cards where uh, people stopped buying them and they were just like relying on weird gimmicks. And uh, he he if you've ever heard the term gem mint 10, it's probably because of Don West. I mean, he didn't make up the term. It's always been a term, but he was the guy going gem mint 10. And he was the person (laughs) that put that, that in other people's brains. Um, they did a thing. The one of the things they did on the the card shows was pallet busters, which was just like selling like ten thousand cards at once to people and stuff like that. Yeah. And it was just it was just one of those things that reminds me of the old timey television that we don't have anymore. A lot of people like to get wax nostalgic about going to video stores and shit like that. And oh, I miss going to video stores. I don't miss it. I love yeah. convenience. Like the th- like, there's a lot of stuff that people say they miss. Where I'm just like, nope. Like that's like people are like. Uh, yeah, like video stores, like VHS stuff. Like, that. I don't miss that shit. It sucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's inconvenient. What's convenient is just sitting in my house like a sloth and just finding any video I want and not leaving my house. But, <laughs> but what I do miss, and this is dumb, is I miss that type of ki- that kind of like TV you had to watch. Like you had no choice but to watch. And yeah. you know, late that's what late night TV was. It was like if you didn't have cable or you were just you just didn't have access or they were just showing a bad movie that day. 
you had home shopping or you had infomercials. So I think when Don, like Ed, like at his peak was when I started working like overnight and just watched TV all night. So I watched a lot of Don West. I watched a lot of pallet busters. I watched him selling a lot of knives. Um, the knives were, were, were crazy because it was like, he would try and sell you like 40 knives. And yeah. It's like, like well, that's what, like, that's what I remember them for is that they were the pioneer. The thing that you think of now is the two guys like gushing over 700 things. Yeah. 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 On one of those. And I think that they're the pioneers of bringing out like, sticking a samurai sword in the middle of the table and putting 12 Rambo knives around it. Yeah, and then yeah. like a, and then a rainbow of pocket knives and, and being like, you get all this. <laughs> like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's like, dude, I don't even think I really want one knife, but <laughs> now that, now that you're offering me 30 knives at once, I'm kind of interested. I'm I like kind of interested. Like- <laughs> yeah. And that's what like, you know, and it was, it was like one of those things like that kind of television always, it was kind of like, you know, like younger person water cooler talk, basically. Like, I remember my friend Jay from Bunkaki would be like, like, I think, you know, we kind of both found uh, Don West, like, separately. Like, we're like, you see that guy in the shop at Home Channel last night? He's selling baseball cards. Yeah, yeah, I, I saw that guy. And it was like, every time we'd be like, we almost bought that. I almost bought that Don Mattingly set. He kind of mm-hmm. almost sold us on that. I never bought. I think Jay, Jay might have bought a pallet buster at, at one point because he got he was too hypnotized by Don West. But. I never fell for it. I kind of knew it was a scam, but um, it just he he uh, he kept me entertained for hours. Um, I wish like there, if you if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can search Don West Shop at Home. There's a few clips on YouTube, but I would I would take a whole set of just Don West, like a whole 72 hour set of uh, Don West at Shop at Home. I would cl- gladly buy that. <laughs> I have to check that. I have to check that weird ass site that. Uh, you buy stuff like the white rapper show bootleg from to see if they have any Don West bootlegs. But yeah, he passed from cancer. It was something like he's been battling it for years. And it was just one of those things where um, like it was like a couple years ago was the first time where I was like, oh, it doesn't look like Don West is going to make it through. And he did. And that happened a couple times. And then after a while, you kind of forget <laughs> because you've made it through so many times. Yeah. And then he just suddenly passed a few days ago. But yeah, rest in peace, Don West. Uh, shop at home. Big pivotal kind of programming in, a, you know my younger years that I, I think about often and I think about Don West often because he was the greatest pitch man to ever live. Mike, did you ever see the telephone auction? I don't know. What is that? Uh, well, my dad used to watch this and my dad, my dad, he, my dad wasn't this kind of guy. I don't know what the hell was going <laughs> on, but he was like, he would sit there with his phone on his lap. And this, <laughs> this it was a show. It was an early shopping at home kind of thing. And uh, it was live and it was real. It was like a real auction. I don't, I don't, even, I don't understand how it works. You can, there's a, I'm, I just opened up. There's a clip of it on YouTube. There's probably a lot. <laughs> but there's this guy who looked like Jerry Falwell who would just shout like number 36 <laughs> says, I'll take one. Number 42 says, I'll take one. And he just says shit like that. Like that's burning my brain. He says, says, I'll take one. He says it over and over. All right. Here's the next one. Up at the bit of the auction. This is the Garfield telephone. You can look in the catalogs, all the different brochures. They have this advertised in the department stores. Normally, this is sold around $79.95, $69.95 on sale. Here's what I want to do. Every person that calls in, I've only got for sale. We've sold out of three containers. We have 600 pieces in inventory left. That's it. There is no more. Every person that calls in, every hand that goes up, $39.95. Sold. $39.95 coming down. Bitter 12 says, I'll take one. $39.95. That's a hot, hot price. Number 728 says, I'll take one. 310 gets one. 57 gets one. Get up and come in, pal. Your cost. And he has a full, like, sure SM58 microphone strapped to his chest, sticking out like a foot in front of him with like a a coat hanger or something holding. It it was a real operation. This is, and I I distinctly remember that like some sort of helicopter camera goes over some giant parking lot to show you that this is one of those, you know, 
I know, oh like out God. in Arizona or whatever, there's like giant mega flea markets and stuff. It's something like that. We don't have that kind of shit up here, <laughs> but there's like seventy thousand cars in the parking lot for the telephone auction, and it's some <laughs> arena. And this dude is just standing in front of a bunch of like crazy Eddie products, you know, everything, clocks, forks, like I don't know, just cassette decks, just stuff like plates, you know, anything. They bring out knives, they bring out doilies, they just bring it out, and he just like this guy would just pitch it and shout. And people call up on their phone and you could just bid on these items somehow. I have no idea how it worked. But he watched it every time I went to visit him. Every time I would just sit there watching this guy with him and my dad like sweating with his cordless phone in his hand, like this thumb over the last number, like I gotta get it. I gotta get it. And that oh that's God. what I miss is that, is that feeling. I gotta I gotta check that clips of that out on, on the internet. Yeah, there's a full a, hour of it out there. Uh, the telephone auction right. shopping program. Yeah. And yeah, anybody else has some some underground Don West out there that's not on YouTube? Hit me up if you have some old VHS or something, because I'll uh, gladly take it off your hands. Yeah. Uh, but that's about it. That's uh, kind of longish. We've been cutting it short for these opening segments, but don't worry <laughs> because uh, I don't know if we're going to take more than ten minutes <laughs> on this record. <laughs> and it's not because it's not a record we don't like. It's because uh, it's not really hard. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> hard hard it's not like something we have to dig oh that's what i wanted to say i wanted to shout out um is it chris chris from age of reason mm-hmm. age of reason for you those who don't know was our first episode yeah and he just found it and he was like you know he's like oh that's so cool you guys did that blah blah blah. and uh we mentioned it before but a lot of bands have usually reached out to us within a couple weeks and there's there's very few left that haven't so <laughs> it's very cool to, to strike out number one so episode one is down we got because i remember we had like a friend a friend of a friend of a band the band reached out but no no one ever in the band so age reason is off the list they have reached out and acknowledged that the episode exists so that's great <laughs> i feel like we're not going to hear from today's <laughs> no <guys>. no no <laughs> uh but yeah so it's it's not because we we don't love this band it's just because there's it's all knowledge that uh is mundane because yeah. it's all over the place yeah. and we don't have anything to add to it but it is quicksand the band is called quicksand and this is um this is a i wouldn't say a rare seven inch but it's not a seven inch people think of uh they kind of think of the first seven inch and then they think of um slip and then you know all the other shit but uh between the first seven inch and slip there was a, a record a promo record just entitled uh dine alone b-side can opener and this was a a, a a quote-unquote promo seven-inch for uh, their upcoming Polydor Records debut uh, slip. Um, this came out in 1992, and uh, my version doesn't have it, but some versions came with a, a hype sticker that said "Special Limited Edition," which uh, there's no info I could find that what that meant because <laughs> there's no like pressing info, and um, it this is this was put out by Polydor Records, so. This was probably limited to like five thousand. It's not like it's, it's it's not really limited. Although I I've never seen this record like in the wild before, so maybe it is is limited. I don't know. Um, but the other thing the hype sticker says is uh, pre-release mixes, mm-hmm. which is like a thing things would say back then, like to get you to buy something that you maybe already owned. Yeah. And in in my history, in my experience, it's usually always bullshit. <laughs> like you'd always buy like a maxi single, and it would be like you know pre-release mix or demo mix. And it would be the same song that you you like like maybe something like if you were I don't know like a, a producer an engineer or something maybe minute you would notice but uh, so I th- I figured that was interesting enough and like I said this is very very easy for me Scott me and Scott to talk about uh, we both are 
as, as you probably know if you've listened both love quicksand it's an easy slam dunk record it's just kind of like a record that not a lot of people uh even know exists because no one thinks <laughs> the quicksand seven inches uh i guess a quick history of quicksand not that anybody would need it but um uh, quicksand kind of was birthed out of gorilla biscuits kind of birthed out of all the old old timey revelation bands they uh yeah um between gorilla biscuits and quicksand there was a band called moon dog that was uh, uh kind of like you know like it was like an in-between of those two bands and it was kind of rough and it, it was cool but it was kind of going in that direction and then right after that quicksand happened and quicksand was walter from gorilla biscuits who, who was uh pretty much responsible for writing all of gorilla biscuits music mm-hmm. and then tom capone from bold a guy from youth of today absolution beyond i think those all might be tom capone but yep. it was all the it was all the revolution guys and they they kind of i guess created post hardcore i don't know if the i guess the term existed before it's quicksand yeah. i actually don't know i i don't know but um, they were the first band that I knew of that was post hardcore at least. And, uh, you know, like I said, I think, well, what was the, f- the actual first seven inch 91? Yeah. First seven inch was 90. So I'm going to give them credit for post hardcore. I don't know <laughs> if there was any, I don't know if there was any post hardcore before 1990, but, um, and you know, I, I don't know what happened with, with, uh, like who, like who from Polydor heard, the quicksand seven inch was like, we need that on our label. Cause it just seems like, but at the time, you know, it, I guess it was it was grunge adjacent, so I guess I could see them getting swept up in that whole grunge uh, that grunge signing spree. So I guess it sort of makes sense, but um, you, even like um, I'm kind of skipping all over the place because I, I didn't write a script or anything. But like <laughs> even like I Quicksand was one of the first bands I heard that wasn't rap music. I grew up uh, a rap listener, a rap connoisseur. I grew up in a city where I didn't really know much else outside of rap. And then uh, when I was a freshman in high school, I moved to a more kind of working class town instead of a city and uh, people there listening to metal and stuff like that and i met some kid and he like you know he made me tapes of all this stuff um to get me <laughs> into uh non-rap music uh godflesh which is a weird a weird transition from <laughs> uh rap to <laughs> to anything else so uh I've, I've probably said on the show before i heard godflesh probably before I heard Slayer or like, you know, a, a lot of Slayer, at least like I've heard probably Slayer on MTV. But as far as the whole album, I heard Street Cleaner before I heard any go- any Slayer album, any Metallica album. Um, and his his reasoning was, well, they have drum machines. So and rap has drum machines. So it's the same thing. <laughs> and it, it wasn't. But I was like, oh, this is cool, whatever. Uh, but Quicksand Slip was in there. I think it was, it was fairly new at the time, a fairly new record. And um, it was it was so much weirder than anything else. He was he was uh, showing me. And it was, and and even back then, I was like, "This is kind of like grunge," because I didn't have any other kind of yeah. uh, comparison. So I guess I could see them getting signed to a major label just on that. But it always stuck with me. Um, but yeah, that's how I found out about Quicksand. But just back into their brief history, they really slip after this uh, this unknown promo seven inch. And uh, there's there's a couple other seven inches in there. They did a, they did a seven inch for Omission, and uh, Phaser was just a CD single. And then after that, then. Uh, they uh, actually released um, a single called Delusional, and uh, then they broke up forever, mm-hmm. and they n- they never released any other music after that. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. They did another. They they moved to Island Records, and they did a record called Manic Compression, which is it's it's decent. It's good. It's no it's no slip. Um, it's it's fine. <laughs> it's uh yeah. it's uh it has like five really good songs on it, and then some other songs on it. Um, and then they broke up for a very long time and they got back together and did a record called interiors that sounded nothing like quicksand. And, um, 
personally i like when people grow i like when bands get to get back together and they make new music and they do other stuff and they don't just rely on stuff they wrote when when, when they were teen except when it comes to quicksand i don't want them to do i don't want them to do new music i want them to do music that sounds like quicksand slip yeah. and uh they did they did not do that so yeah. so i you know i it's fine i i they they released another lp not too long ago a couple years actually last year but i guess a couple years ago now that's 2023 called distant populations which is fine it wasn't an amazing record but it's a fine record but again I have no interest in hearing people from quicksand play music that doesn't sound like quicksand. Yeah, so, yeah. and uh, that just makes me a hypocrite. Cause like I said, I really like it when bands do that, but uh, just not quicksand. Um, but yeah, so I've, I've been a fan of quicksand uh, pretty much since day one, since I discovered this type of music and I was thinking about how to, how to shoehorn them into this episode or into this podcast. And here I am. I forgot I had this promo seven inch that I bought during the pandemic off of eBay for pennies and it's like a, it's it's a minimum 25 dollars seven inch this isn't mm. this isn't something you're gonna find in the bargain bin because it was limited but <laughs> um but uh the person who 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 put it up on ebay unfortunately did a bidding <laughs> bidding auction those don't work anymore no one does those except for for this this seven inch and scott's pepsi watch that he didn't win <laughs> but uh but uh it's it, and it sucks because this dude was also selling uh prints of ink and dagger photos he took and i was like i don't need those and i regret that every day now because uh I would have, I should have bought them. I should have bought them with the seven inch, but I didn't. But uh, so yeah, I own the seven inch. I forgot I bought it because I I just like bought it and put it you know right in my collection and never thought about it again until I was going through seven inches a couple months ago um, to see what I had to to do on the show. And here we are. I was like, I'll save this for a very easy episode, and this is that easy episode. Uh, as far as the history of Quicksand, they uh, you know they started in the late '80s, early '90s, and they broke up for a while in the mid '90s and came back in uh, the mid 2000 2010s. Um, as far as their members, it's very shocking that they pretty much have all the same members that they had on this seven inch that they do right now. Uh, I so I didn't really do any doxing because you you don't have to like they're in quicksand still. Like, <laughs> they really need, need to track these guys down. The only guy that's missing is Tom Capone, who. Um, this this isn't on the internet so i'm not going to slander the guy but i think he got a little a little too busy with the drugs or something like yeah. that or you know i think that's not on the internet so maybe i'm wrong but um but what is on the internet though is the reason he's no longer in quicksand is because he got caught shoplifting uh while they're on tour and uh it's it's very specific he got caught shoplifting 43, 43 items <laughs> 43 <laughs> items which is kind of fucked up that they would they would even yeah, i think after like 10 they should just say like a plethora of items yeah. they don't really need to see say 43 but it's or, pretty or just funny like a imagine. surprising amount <laughs> yeah, <laughs> surprising amount. so it's it's you know it's it's kind of fun i'm sure it was just like you know racking a whole thing of condoms like into his bag or something like that mm -hmm. but in my mind i would like to imagine it was like a supermarket sweep type scenario where he's just <laughs> walking around the sea CVS, he's got the like, turkey he's got the turkey <laughs> yeah. and like ah, i'm gonna get away with this and then getting busted at the end but i don't it was probably less exciting than that but uh that's the reason he's no longer in quicksand but outside of that yeah the same fucking four guys uh from day one until now and that's super cool again be super much cooler if they if they played quicksand <laughs> instead of uh the music they're playing now but they're not um tom capone was also which i never really I guess I knew, but I kind of forgot that he was in the band Handsome, which was the uh, the most quicksand quicksand ripoff yeah. band. So yeah, yeah. he has that under his belt. He has he has uh, he uh, he got to be in the band that sounded the most like quicksand because a lot of try a lot of people tried, but they, they couldn't do it. So uh, so that's about it. Alan Cage, all those guys still in the band. Sergio Vega. Sergio Vega did was in Deftones for a while, which is kind of cool because 
uh, that means he was in the quicksand of new metal. They're, <laughs> they're kind of they're kind of like uh, uh, what quicksand is to hardcore kids. Uh, Deftones are to new metal kids. So that's cool that he got to live both of those lifestyles. So yeah, that's uh, that's about quicksand in a nutshell. Do you have anything to add, Scott? This was a tough one because my instinct was to really go hard and dig and really talk because <laughs> I really like these guys and I don't know a ton about them really because I don't really like information wasn't readily available on quicksand in the nineties when I was into quicksand, like when I was super into them. And then years later, there was kind of a drought of people talking about them as much. It just what they didn't come up as much until they kind of started doing reunions and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, like if I just do my usual two days of Google bullshit, we're going to look like idiots because this is a very mythologized scene, a very well analyzed, (laughs) like the New York hardcore scene that he came from, that they came from. It's so well known. People know people were at these shows. People like are friends with these guys and they know all the things. So I'm not going to tell you anything new. I just uh, (laughs) but uh, I I think it's the only surprises for me was, you know, Sergio was in quicksand. And I I think they think he got a little thicker to be in in Deftones. (laughs) <laughs> uh, like, I think they gave him some Chanko Nabe to get him up to Deftones size. So he looks good again now, but look, it's kind of weird that he like he changed form to be in the, the Deftones for a little while. Um, and then I think he got, I think he got the axe kind of shitty. I think they just stopped talking to him and like took pictures without him, and that's how wow. he found out he wasn't in the Deftones anymore. Because I think he, he, you know, I don't know. It sounds bad, and he, and he's still got his shit together, and he still plays well and everything like that. So that's it's not him, it's but, them. Wow. Also, he was in Project Kate. I didn't yeah. know that. <laughs> that, that that's a demerit. Uh, that that demeans all of us, actually. That, that that feels bad. And then also, I didn't know that Alan Cage just stopped music for like ten years <laughs> to become very left wing union organizer. He just started <laughs> traveling around, living the left wing dream of getting hotel employees to fuck the man and unionize. <laughs> and I guess he's like really into it and good at it and stuff like that. But you know, as soon as Quicksand called him, he's like, "Oh yeah, I can stop doing that. I want to be back to Quicksand again. That's cool." <laughs> And then what's weird about Alan is that maybe I'm over over reading this or something, but it, it seems in a few spots that people will talk about him and they'll be like explaining his drumming or like apologizing for it. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, he's a really underrated drummer or like, yeah, he's good. He can't play. He doesn't play like this guy, but he's, you know, he's really good at what he does. That is so fucking weird because he is he needs no explanation. He's a very <laughs> excellent. He's like a perfectly excellent drummer. I don't understand it. Like even I think even Walter in a couple of spots is like, yeah, you know, Alan, he's got his stuff. Like, what the <laughs> fuck are you talking about? And uh, and Walter himself pretty quickly lost my attention after Quicksand. Uh, yeah. World's fastest car. I think if you could dig up the world's fastest car record, still kind of sounds like Manic Compression. It's not that far off. Like that was still OK. But everything rival schools onward. I don't I don't enjoy that. I he, like there's something about these guys. It actually makes sense that uh, um, Steve Brodsky joined Quicksand because both guys broke my hearts by turning their back on Harsh Vocals Nation, <laughs> like deciding I don't want to do strained vocals anymore. I want to sing like soft over heavy guitars, which I mean, that holds nothing for me. I, I The 90s were a tough time for me because I didn't like Smashing Pumpkins. I don't like any of that. Kind so of did you do you like the vocals on the, the actual seven inch, the first seven inch more than Slip then? I think he is a perfect uh, strained vocal singer, like what mm-hmm. he does on Slip and Manic Compression. Other people have tried to do. Only Walter does it ever. <laughs> no one else has done. I try to sing like if by my default way of singing is to try and sing like Walter. I don't hit it. Nobody does. Mm-hmm. Shift guy broke a blood yeah. vessel trying to sound like Walter. He was straining so hard that I saw like ribs breaking in his chest when he played. <laughs> Didn't hit it. Like there, are, I think shift on path as pathos. That's the name of that tape. I think yeah, that's yeah. as close as anyone has ever come to sort of sounding like quicksand really in my, in my heart there, that's the closest anyone's ever come to kind of aping their riffs 
and like, you know, channeling them still could not hit it. Nobody sings like this guy. This is just his natural voice is when he strains. He sounds like quicksand to me. And it, I love that sound. It sounds tense. No, not this, this record. I mean, the, the, for the actual revelation quicksand seven inches, like he's like, it's like rougher. Yeah. Um, I don't really, I never really liked that seven inch. I thought it was too rough. Well, yeah. And I'm Moondog. He kind of is more, yeah. he's yeah. kind of more. I like, I like Moondog yeah. a lot. I would, that was one of those things like back in the day. I was like, oh, someday yeah. they're going to, there's somebody's going to unearth like a clean copy of this and we're going to have like a real <laughs> record of it. And that's never happened. That's one of the real, the real actual holy grails of, of, uh, hardcore so you guys out there yeah you guys are in the shit find a clean copy of moondog and put that out you'll uh you'll be a millionaire maybe moondog sounds like it's on one of those cylinders like or, yeah, like it's on yeah. a clay clay jar or something like yeah, that. yeah 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 not a real record uh tom capone the only thing i want to say i don't want to get too weird about tom capone uh yeah. I, I i've actually heard that, that he's a really good guy I mean, he may okay. be having some troubles, but I, I've heard that he's cool. Like he is like a, a nice guy. There's there's nothing. It, it, drugs will fuck you up. So if that's what he's into yeah. or substances that puts you in a bad spot. So, uh, you know, he, he may have just been like, I think you can take things from a drugstore. You can make drugs with. Right. I'm not, I, th- I think you yeah, can make yeah. like, I don't know. So maybe he was doing something like that. But or maybe he was stealing like turkeys and hams. Yeah. And like <laughs> maybe he was looking for the, the giant penguin with a ribbon on it. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, the- also i do want to clear the air that i do think stealing is cool as hell so yeah. i'm not i'm not i'm not on his case for that because i don't care i think that's cool as hell shoplifting, <laughs> shoplifting is dope <laughs> running from the cops is dope every every yeah. part of that is dope. i'll tell you what yeah, yeah. i'll get to what isn't dope in a second so uh okay. the odd thing was he lived up near us for a while yeah, yeah he lived up in amsterdam amsterdam is not a place you move unless you're having some sort of troubles kind of <laughs> it's the deadest of dead cities up near us yeah and yeah. uh, I think he was working at Drone Sound, also kind of terrifying. Like you end up working at the guitar store in Albany, something <laughs> you know, something hasn't clicked with uh, with your music career. It's not it's not the best spot to be in. And um, I think he was given guitar lessons, and he was like advertising them on Craigslist or whatever. And I was like, is that Tom Cap- Tom Capone's giving guitar? Le- Why is he up here? And instead of doing the obvious thing of buying a value pack of those lessons and going and hanging. <laughs> hanging out with him in whatever condition he was in i just ignored it because i was kind of past quicksand yeah. back then and uh since then he uh you know after his uh 2017 problem there he resumed doing bold uh straight edge band bold <laughs> and uh yeah, yeah. and then i don't see a ton of follow-up like he's just he seems to be back to normal he's just doing bold and things and like it doesn't seem to come up there's no other mention of whatever <laughs> went on with him and his legal troubles. Maybe, maybe he just skated because it's just shoplifting. I mean, who gives a fuck? Like, maybe he got <laughs> away with it. Or maybe he just left Arizona and was like, come and get me. I, li- <laughs> I don't live there anymore. <laughs> uh, but he started doing bold again, and it looked, looks fine. It looks like he did okay with that. And then he joined a super group named Blood <laughs> Clot with John Joseph. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he joined because I think Todd Youth died. John Joseph was already a troublesome figure. By the time uh, uh, Tom joined this. And I don't know, maybe if you're friends with him, all the stuff he does makes sense. I doubt it. I, I feel like I doubt it. And uh, he was, he's a great guitarist. Tom's a really good guitarist. Um, and he plays this music correctly, but it's, it's pretty plain. It's pretty, and it has really dumb lyrics. And they played that Tompkins Square uh, COVID fest, the New York yeah. hardcore Madball COVID fest, where lots and lots of very old hardcore frontmen said a lot of spicy things on stage. <laughs> And had a lot of spicy takes later on. Um, and their, their album is also on the same label as that hilarious uh, Fury of Five record everyone's yeah. talking about right now. Upstate Records, which yep. comes from Albany. I had no idea that was going on. <laughs> I had yeah. no idea any of that was going on. It's a guy I don't really know, Mario Kenjemi, yeah. and he puts out a lot of kind of uh, 
you know, black and blue uh, associated music, music for the streets, music for the streets. It's 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 very, <laughs> very Photoshop, co- very enthusiastically Photoshop cover art on most of these things. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. So the only personal this is this is way, way out there. But this is the only the only personal time I may have ever, ever intersected with anyone from this band was in 2007. I formed a band just to do a quicksand cover set <laughs> with my friend Busta, uh, the greatest, greatest drummer. He uh, we, we did. a. will say that me and Busta did our jobs. I'm not going to say <laughs> the rest of the band exactly did their jobs. Uh, good people, but I, you know, me and Boosted did our thing. And um, w- Tom was still in the area at the time, and someone, someone arranged for him to come and show up and join us. Oh my! So he God. was going to come. I didn't know that he was supposed to come and like do something. I don't, or maybe just see us or sing a song with us, which would have been weird, but yeah. fine. I would. That's fine if he wants to do like a really dumb Albany show to play six <laughs> of his old songs with people he doesn't know. I don't know how that was going to go, but I was I was dying to find out. I was there for it. And uh, I think the word on the street is that he may have thought we were clowning on him. So he never showed up mm. that, that we were like catfishing him or that we were there to make fun <laughs> of quicksand because the, the flyer for that show looked pretty bad. I think I think like yeah. a lot of the things going on looked pretty dumb. It kind of looked maybe ironic. And he probably thought we were doing. I don't know how you get ironically do a quicksand set, but he thought we were maybe he thought we were going to make fun of him. That's hearsay. He saw he saw those punk band names and he was like, fuck that, man. Yeah, he's not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> but that set, that set is one of my top 10 feelings in the world. It's uh, maybe top five. You can hear a terrible recording of it at Holligator.com. And you can hear Sean fucking duty blabbing over one of the most thrilling moments of my life. You can hear me doing <laughs> doing my best to sing, to lovingly sing a selected set of six of my favorite songs in the, in the universe. The whole crowd is singing back at me. Not something I ever get to experience. And there's Sean Doty just heard a high flopper to go blah, 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 blah over my fucking moment at the soundboard. <laughs> So you can hear that anytime you want. <laughs> I hope I hope Sean De- Duty listens to this episode because he probably Sean. was unaware. So there you go. Sean if anybody Duty, has a Sean Duty up. filter that I can edit him out of my <laughs> my moment, please. <laughs> uh, okay, so this was on Polydor Records, and I'm not going to tell you anything about Polydor <laughs> Records because it, it's literally a record label that's been around since 1913. Yeah, since uh, before I knew music existed. So that's be the oldest thing we've ever encountered so far. On this yeah. Show. They have literally over 100,000 releases. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I'm not even going to di- dive into it. I just uh, I just picked a random page, and I will highlight the band Shack Attack, <laughs> S-H-A-K-A-T-A-K. Uh, they put, put out a record in 1981 on Polydor called Driving Hard. Uh, this was an English... <laughs> This is an English jazz funk band founded in 1980. Uh, they're one of those bands that have like 37 members, mostly all white. One guy's questionable. One guy looks like Donald Trump. Uh, <laughs> I cannot wait to listen to this record. Uh, they have another record called Down on the Street that was also on Polydor. Wow. Uh, City Rhythm, Golden Wings. These they they have the this they must this must have been England only. I don't think Shack Attack hit the U.S. because. I've never heard of them, and they have about forty nine. They have one hundred and seventy nine releases. Yeah, uh, never heard of this band. So, so I'm gonna check out Shack Attack after this. Um, this driving hard goes for about seventy five cents. So hopefully it'll be in, in my collection soon. But uh, check out Shack Attack. I don't really have anything to add. Like honestly, Polydor is a huge label. After this, they they went to Island, which uh, I think at the time was a bigger label, but probably not anymore. And now Polydor is owned by Universal, just like every other record label. Yeah, I've never seen because we don't ever look at labels this big i've never looked at a big labels discogs and i was surprised to see how broken it looks because there's that sub labels section yeah which yeah, is yeah. a huge block of blue link text that's in all different languages it looks like something didn't render in your browser yeah, you look yeah. Like, what the fuck is this but yeah these guys are label mates with jesus christ and abraham lincoln because this goes back to the <laughs> the flintstones 
And uh, label mates with, you know, they're label mates with ABBA, King Crimson, JPEG Mafia, thank you, but also the band Saga, one of my favorite weird, uh, like, oh, yeah. s- city streets at night rock rock and roll bands. Now you're on the loose. Yeah, tonight yes. you're on the loose. Saga is one of my, it's one of my favorite albums. That's yeah. on uh, Polydor, so yeah. everybody but Kiss. <laughs> um. Okay, I guess, yeah, it's, I guess it's time to get this record out onto a tray. Hold on. Here we go. Oh, my God. Nice. There we go. Sorry, I had to stumble a little, cut my nails. Are you still That's drinking Lord. Druthers beers? Uh, I have one left, but I'm not drinking a Druthers tonight. Tonight's the old PBR, uh, in in uh, in honor of Midnight Madness. That's what I tell myself anytime I <laughs> drink a PBR. It's because of Midnight Madness. So there we go. I got uh, a thirst for living. <laughs> and I'm drinking uh, cold blue ribbon. I also will have no no other opportunity to say this, but I thought I always thought up until. I don't know, probably until my late teens that Pabst Blue Ribbon was a fictional beer made up from Midnight Madness. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know. Like, I don't think I saw like a can of PBR until I was like in my late teens, early 20s. So I always thought it was like made up. And I saw like somebody reference it like in my late teens. And I was like, oh, that's a real beer. Yeah. So uh, I, I always thought it was f- a fake beer. Oh, that's that's the uh, default beer in my brain from when I was a kid because the label is so busy, almost like cigarette packs. It's like yeah. so ornate, and it's the first one I ever tasted when I was like some adult. Yeah, was not, like, hey, try none, this. <laughs> none of the alcoholics in my life uh, drank Pabst Blue Ribbon. I never saw it. Just always Coors or Bud, never yeah. Pabst. Uh, so this record is pretty simple because it is a promo by a major label, so it has like 45 packaging. Oh, there's a couple interesting things about this. This is probably... Uh, one of my favorite quicksand-related pieces of art, mm-hmm. and uh, it was done by a woman named Melinda Beck, which I'll get into in a second. But um, but yeah, it's kind of a waste that they used it for this and really nothing else. Yeah. I'm sure they put it on flyers and stuff like that, but it's kind of that old uh, manic compression-style art, but it's mm-hmm. a dog and a guy holding a bone in front of a little kid holding a bone in front of him. This is actually the last time that quicksand would use their scratchy logo and uh, they would they would go for the, the more kind of like typewriter sort of rounded aerial oh, logo. Yeah. Um, which I like better. I don't. I like the quick the, the old quicksand scratchy logo is cool, but I like the the newer quicksand logo a little better. Um, the back is pretty boring. It's a silhouette of a band playing, and it's just like the typical kind of forty five st- style mm-hmm. uh, uh, list of just the the name of the band and the songs. Uh, but like I said, it says illustration uh, by Melinda Beck, and uh, so like I said, she's she's done a lot of I you know a good amount of work for for quicksand. If you see her work. You probably think quicksand, yeah. And um, and uh, there's another, there's a guy who uh, named Jordan Isip that uh, did similar stuff but different for Hot Water Music, yeah. And uh, many other bands. I think uh, I think he did the one for Snapcase too, Progression Through a Learning, yep. but a lot. But these were two very big, like uh, like I guess you would say hardcore artists back in the day, where you were like they had very recognizable art. You would see it on flyers, stuff like that, and. Uh, I always thought they were the same person. Yeah, me too. I was just like, totally. yeah, because like, it's not like it's different. Like Melissa stuff is more like, I guess you would say pen and ink and like color like that. And Jordan's is a little different. It looks like paints and stuff like that. Yep. Um, and so when I was looking this up, I was like, oh, you know, I, I don't. I was like, Melinda Beck's not the person from Hot Water Music. And I looked up, and she's married to Jordan Isip. No, so what? <laughs> yeah, they are married. So the two people that are most responsible for early to mid '90s kind of like, um, like. I guess you, I don't know, I don't know if I would say mature, but you know, more of like adult style art, yeah. 
uh, are married to each other and just kind of, I guess, running the game. I don't, I don't know if they were married back then or if that's how they, they found each other. But hey, yeah, you draw like up, me? No, you draw like <laughs> me. <laughs> yeah. When I was looking it up, the first thing I saw was Melinda Beck uh, married to graphic artist Jordan Isop. I was like, Jordan Isop's the guy I'm thinking of, and I was like, that's fucking crazy. So, so yeah, they are married. That is insane. Uh, but yeah, outside of that, there's nothing in this. There's no insert. The guy who who mailed it to me just put a note in that said thanks for the bid. But um, the label itself is just the normal Polydor label, the orange label. And uh, that's about it. O- outside of having one of the coolest pieces of art that don't get seen enough, it's uh, it's pretty bare bones. I love that picture. It's uh, I would get it tattooed on me if I had to. It's such a great picture. Um, but but yeah, that's it. It's a, it's a 45 cover. Not, not much else to say. <laughs> Uh, well, back in the time I was talking about, like before Quicksand reunited, before Gorilla Biscuits reunited, like when not as many people were thinking about them, I think. I mean, they, they never weren't famous, but like I think their the information about them on the Internet had subsided quite a bit. Uh, I tried to sneaky sneak figure out more about Melinda Beck to see if I could somehow <laughs> some way get some kind of print or something of that cool Quicksand shirt with the shark planes on it. Yeah. Back then there was like one grubby image of that shirt in Google period. Like nobody was selling it. (laughs) Nobody was posting it. It was before Instagram. It was before like probably even like t-shirt slayer or like any of those kind of like sites. There was nothing like there was just no, there's just one image. And my friend owned it. And I was like, can you take a picture of it and send it to me? (laughs) (laughs) So back then I did find her website and I sent her a message. She wasn't interested in responding to Punishers because oh, she, she didn't get back to me about that. And I, I just wanted info. I just wanted the info and it, I didn't get it. So, And I don't own that shirt. I still want it. If anyone has an XL, a spare XL, hit me up. But uh, like, I love that drawing. I love her style. I think it's more fun than Jordan's. It's more witty or something, I guess yeah. I would say. And I love woodcuts. I think she does woodcuts. I mean, maybe it's pen and ink, but it looks like a woodcut to me. Yeah. And I I was never sure who was first out of the gate. I completely felt the same way. I didn't know if it was one artist or multiple artists because, you know, hardcore is like a lot of ripoff stuff. Like once yeah, someone yeah. does something, that's the look and everybody does it. Same way with like the Petitioning the Empty Sky style album cover. Yeah, like yeah. That graffiti-ish, like weird, like <laughs> mannequin face thing. Like that was pretty common to draw shit like that all over the place. Those sort of faceless doll like emo yeah. images. So I, I maybe seven people were ripping off the style at the same time. I had no idea, but <laughs> I didn't know who was first, I, but she is like my favorite of that, of that genre. She does a lot of weird animals like these, this two mouth dog, the shark. Planes, yeah. Like she does some stuff like that. It's my speed. Um, I, I like that the moody silhouette photo on the back is mostly just one very pointy Jackson guitar head. Not a lot of people were rocking like this, the, the super strat, the Starlicks. <laughs> you know, Shredder Super Strat in 92. That was not that was not a post-hardcore uh, guitar. You're not allowed to play the pointy, uh, you know, the, the Floyd Rose uh, dive bomb guitar back then. And he did dive bombs, too. I don't think anybody else was doing that. They were, Nobody else was doing that shit. Just Tom Capone. Uh, yeah, and that's all you get. Like, I actually do like the label on the record just because it makes me think of, like, actually living in a 70s basement yeah. with a bunch of disco yes. records on the floor and, yeah. you know, all those weird, like, I forget what... What what label it is? But there's one label that had a really rainbowy Sugar Hill. No, it's the label that Kiss is actually on, and I'm thinking it has like a Dynasty <laughs> style name or something like that. But Casablanca, it's something Casablanca, like, yeah, yeah, Casablanca, yeah, 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 Casablanca, yeah, 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 yeah. Any any yeah. label like that, I love it. It makes me feel like I'm <laughs> I'm looking at the Get Down and Boogie record that we just kicked around in the, <laughs> the floor all the time and never <laughs> actually played. Okay, that's it. Oh, uh, I forgot forgot to mention I did check out Melinda's uh like current art and it's uh it's a lot different i don't yeah. think she's she's doing the style anymore but i mean it's fucking 20 some it's almost 30 it is 30 years ago so why would you be doing the same i don't thing? think so, she's uh, shooting for it 
as yeah. such. I think she's authentically doing the abstract pop art thing, but it looks like the way Facebook artwork looks now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that, yeah. you everybody. There's a name for that. Those like big limb, the corporate art style that's out there right now with the sort of like flat drawn cartoon characters doing whimsical things. She just, that's her artwork, and I think it's for clients, so it's fine. It's illustration. You're getting paid yeah. to do that, but unfortunately, time has <laughs> done her dirty with the. <laughs> that genre okay we can get into this music it is only two tracks side a side b just 45 style is this actually yeah this was an actual 45 yeah uh so the first track is called dine alone right up front these this sounds like shit it sounds like ass and shit it's uh i usually like i i have the ability i'm not stupid i have the ability to uh kill background noise and kill like the fuzzy sound of a uh, record but i don't because i want to preserve the real shit for We're scott like he, yeah archival. i want scott to hear it exactly how i'm hearing it i don't want him to hear a cleaned up version so unfortunately if, unless scott cleans up the background music it's going to sound like ass so just kind of ignore it i guess it's bad it's like i don't think i don't ever check i think i said this before i don't ever check uh like uh, the gradings on records because i just i'm too i'm too too much of a nice person where i just take somebody's word for it where i'm like fine you're selling it it's probably not like sound like shit this sounds like shit so <laughs> i would like if, if if this wasn't like the quicksand i'd probably just throw this out because it sounds like ass but what are you gonna do um but anyway song song wise this is probably this dine alone uh slash can opener this is probably one quicksand song one and one a for me so this is uh pretty much the perfect single for me because yep. I, I don't think uh dine alone is definitely my number one quicksand song of all time and it is very possible without exaggeration or hyperbole that this is possibly the song i've heard the most in my life because i was thinking about it um outside of like something like you know michael jackson's thriller or something like that something like you were forced to listen to for several years of your life or something like that um like just thinking about because these guys have been around since day one as far as me listening to uh, guitar music and uh i've still listened to this song to this day and there's not there's not many like i said you know there's godflesh i don't listen to godflesh that often but outside of that that's that first stuff I, i came up on I don't really listen to it anymore, so I don't. I don't. I don't tend to sit around listening to Biohazard anymore. So, <laughs> so why not? So, yeah. So it's it's possible. Dine Alone is my number one all time listen to song. Um, it, it it's definitely. It would, I would say it's definitely number one in the non rap category because rap it might be something else, but this is this is definitely number one as far as guitar music goes. So that's pretty crazy. Uh, with that said, I don't have much to say about this song. It's a perfect seven star song. It's a uh, I can't I can't describe something like this. This is just like this is like my Thunder Road, basically. Like what people like romanticize Bruce Springsteen, and I don't fucking understand it because I don't see what they see in it. That's what I see in Quicksand. I see yeah. whatever kind of like I don't know struggle or like whatever is something that makes like a normal person relate to Bruce Springsteen. That's how I feel about Quicksand. I cannot parse it into words and explain like the structures of the song or anything. I just think it's an amazing song. 
Um, with that said, I still don't know if there's any deeper meaning to these lyrics. Mm-hmm. They're, uh, you know, to me, this is still a song about uh, somebody eating alone, <laughs> kind of being a loser. And um, I don't know if there's any deeper meaning. I looked it up. I was like, well, it's, you know, it's 30 years. Maybe somebody wrote it down on the Internet. They didn't. There's still no there. These songs are on Rap Genius, but there's not. Uh, there's no explanations. Somebody put them there. They didn't put any explanations, so no one knows. And like I said, since this was one of the first things I heard of this kind of genre of not this non-rap genre I was being introduced to, I kind of just thought all lyrics were supposed to be like this. Kind of supposed to be just kind of a little abstract. And uh, like you know, because like like I, this song "Dine Alone," he says "Dine Alone" in the song. Yeah. Well, and actually, no, he doesn't. Does he? He doesn't say "Dine Alone." He says things that pertain to dining alone but um all of the other songs have kind of like one or two word names that don't really go along with the song yeah. and a lot of the lyrics are very vague and this was like the first non-god flesh non-biohazard thing i heard where you could like that wasn't mucky pup or mod where you could like hear the lyrics and they're just kind of all vague and i was like oh i guess that's what this is this grunge music i guess it's just like vague lyrics so i never really like really searched too far into it in the 90s and then you know after a while i was like i don't fucking care what he what he's talking about i guess because i don't i don't really care um i would like to think this song is about just kind of you know unfortunately being a loser and <laughs> dining alone and yeah. i like that i like i like that i just like the simple meaning to this but yeah it's it's uh it's my favorite quicksand song hands down i don't have anything to say technically technically about it i just think it's a, a wonderful wonderful song and um if they just wrote this song and nothing else i would have been fine with that I think the the song I've probably heard the most in the world is Train Hey Soul Sister. Uh, <laughs> not not because I want to. It's just all, it's always out there. Uh, I think Thunder Road is a good comparison for this because this is like these guys cut through the whole concept of post hardcore like like an icebreaker, I think, because there was like other stuff like it. Like, yeah, there was like, you know, yeah. sense field. Don't get me started. Farsight. Don't get me fucking started <laughs> into another. Don't get me fucking started. But there was other stuff that was like there was melodic hardcore. And there was obviously like Fugazi and like DC stuff that predates this. But that was also great. You know, but mm-hmm. I think these guys were almost like like Thunder Road or whatever. That was like so thick and like arena rocky. They had the tools. They had the talent. <laughs> they made like <laughs> the most widescreen version of this that you could probably do. Uh, and they were just they were just good at it. I don't think it, like, and stuff that was out adjacent to them, like Orange Nine, Die One Sixteen, like I guess Jawbox, maybe stuff like that. I just don't think it. I think it was all uneven. Some of it's awesome, but a lot of it's just like like Slip is all killer. Yeah, every minute of it. Drop the needle anywhere. I think the whole song is good. I don't think any other bands were putting out like a full album of all all hits like that. But um, on the topic you mentioned, I thought I was thinking about this exact same thing, and I was listening to uh the Moon Dog record. And there's a song they wrote called Distance that was it was actually a Gorilla Biscuits song first. So he was trying to make Gorilla Biscuits into Quicksand, I think, first. Yeah. And, yeah, then, yeah. and then he tried to make and then he did Moondog. And that song Distance sounds a lot like Ian Mackay. Like, I don't know, Embrace. It sounds like something that he would have done, which obviously anyone in the 90s and hardcore was influenced by him in some way. And, you know, Walter to me seems like a chill guy and maybe like a gentle soul, like a nice guy. And it seems like he's an upbeat guy like uh ian ian is not chill <laughs> all of walter's lyrics are about like how everyone is a phony and a liar and a betrayer and like <laughs> anxious and weird and i think it's because he liked ian and he wanted he was like oh well that's how you write just like you're saying yeah, yeah. i think he thought the same thing like, oh, this is how you write post hardcore lyrics everybody's fake everybody's shitty this whole yeah. world is deceivers and narcissists 
That's how you write post-hardcore. And so, I mean, he couldn't have lived in this world. He could could have had this much (laughs) trouble with people. Slip is about nothing but, you know, deceit and, and like, you know, people falling short. There's like, there's just no chill anywhere on that record. Um, yeah, but I I think Walter might be laying it on a little thick. I think Ian probably did have those problems. I don't know if Walter had as many problems as as Slip would have have you believe. But, uh, the song, the video managed to get that arched back emo stretched out guitar guy stance. You know, you stand up really straight and you play your guitar with your really straight arms, <laughs> arch your back, get, stick your chest out. They got that onto MTV first. They had to have been the first people ever get that on MTV, and that's canon. <laughs> if you want to know how it's supposed to look when you play 90s emo on a Les Paul, check out the Dying Alone video. That's how you do it. They did it first. <laughs> uh, so the second track on side B is called Can Opener. skip right at the beginning of a real bad one a real bad one where it was so bad i was like there's no way i could buff that out or that's just gonna stay uh again i if this was not a record that was 25 bucks and (laughs) i didn't pay 25 bucks but it was it was a record that wasn't worth 25 bucks and it wasn't quicksand it would be right in the trash because this is how many how many pennies did you tape to your uh your arm (laughs) (laughs) no i didn't even like i was like ah fuck it the first the first dine alone sounded so shitty i was like okay i gotta clean this record and I cleaned it and I recorded it over again. And then when the skip came in can opener, I was just like, fuck, I don't care. <laughs> I'm done. I'm like, done. Yeah, it's, I was like, there's fucking, you could listen to this, these two songs anywhere on earth. Yeah. You don't need the, the cleanest word, the cleanest, best, most freshest <laughs> pleasure from, uh, <laughs> from, from, from for Seven Inch Club. You can get it anywhere else. But yes, this is a can opener. Uh, there's only two songs ever in the history of the world that have utilized the Undertaker gong perfectly. <laughs> and it is For Whom the Bell Tolls and Can Opener. And, uh, I don't know over, what is over. that. What what is that? What do you is that a gong? What is that? Do you know? I think it's like a church bell. I guess it's like the the hell's bells church bell from that's, ACDC. That's definitely something where they're like, well, we have this major studio money, so yeah. uh, we gotta we gotta use this <laughs> sound because that's not a sound you would think of if you were just a normal band. So I think they're so closer I, to the Taco Bell. I think these guys might have sampled the, ta- the okay. actual Taco Bell to do this. Song. Might be the Taco Bell. Uh, this also, the song contains probably, to me at least, the coolest riff in the Quicksand catalog. The yeah, I love that riff. I think that encapsulates everything I love about Quicksand in one simple, very simple riff. It's just like I can't, like I said, I can't put it in words. But Quicksand has also ha- always had this kind of spacey yet heavy sound to me that sounds distant mm-hmm. and far away, but like in kind of like a cough syrup haze. Yeah. Um, it doesn't sound manufactured. It just sounds normal. It sounds like these guys were born to make songs that sounded like this, 
and uh, this that just that's just the, the part that's always in my head. It just it just sums them up perfectly. Um, there's a there's a part. So I so I was I was looking consciously. I don't know if Scott was, but I was looking consciously to see if there was a pre pre release mix sound. <laughs> and there's a part that fooled me for for a second where if a gun to my head, I would have been like, okay, that's not on the record. Yep. And it's um. The part where he says, you probably have much less to prove. Yep. It's doubled up. It's doubled up on the actual LP, too. But mm-hmm. when at, in, the, in the heat of the moment, I was like, I don't think that's doubled up on the LP. But then I listened back, it is. <laughs> got him. Um, we got him. Yeah, I got him. <laughs> uh, this song is very clearly about an egotistical person. I don't need any kind of vague references. It's very easy to figure out. Uh, but then there's a, there's a, <laughs> there's kind of a, a jazzy interlude to this song. Like, that's, uh, you know, you know, mm-hmm. you know, you've heard this song. And it goes and it's like and he's hitting the he's hitting the symbols a little scatting a little and there's an actual difference this yes. is a pre-release mix there's yep. an actual difference in the jazzy interlude uh when the guitar comes back in it sounds like a fucking marimba or something on this it sounds like a steel drum uh, or something weird but it, you know on slip it yeah <laughs> on slip it sounds like a guitar on this yeah. it does not sound like a guitar it sounds like some other like, maybe tom morello was in there for a second uh <laughs> doing some wacky shit with pedals or something but this sounds like a marimba or something so i was like yes we have a rarity here. This yep. is a rare pre-release mix of Can Opener, uh, exclusive to First Seven Inch Club. Mm-hmm. No, no mm-hmm. you're never hearing this anywhere else. Just kidding. I'm sure. It's, I'm sure there's seven thousand uploads of this uh, this rare pre-release Can Opener mix. Um, also, this song contains one of the only good non-death metal guitar leads. So there's that. Yeah. Uh, also, if you are, if you think of yourself as a true quicksand head. As soon as the song um, ends, if you didn't start going boom, 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 if you didn't start doing the omission bass line in your your head, <laughs> as soon as this song ended, you are not a quicksand head. But uh, that's it. Like I said, this is this is one A to, to quicksand. They're Dino Loans one. Uh, I found an interview where Walter said, uh, "quote quote uh, <laughs> If you listen to earlier quicksand stuff, I was very influenced by Kevin Seconds and wanted to have a ton of lyrics within a minute and forty seconds." Now I would rather have less lyrics and be more impactful than fill in all the details and have all these added rhythms. Well, fuck you, Charlie. I like those <laughs> rhythms. I like them. I like that part. And uh, usually I would be with you. Like me and Mike always talk about like yeah. you have too many lyrics. Yeah. I kind of like I think it's cool that this dude is so full of hooks and ideas that he almost never like this song alone. He doesn't really repeat anything. There's There's not really a chorus that is the same. There's that one chunk where it's like, that's where the fun goes down. Hip, hip, parade for you. There's yeah. enough hooks in that little chunk for three songs. And he's like, no, nah, I'm just going to stick it in the verse. I'm going to make a verse that's just all every idea that I have for every melody. Uh, and he does that all over the album. He just, he's got ideas and he's got like little swing grooves that he does with the vocals. They're almost like hip hoppy or something like that. They're, <laughs> they're cool. I love that. And um, that's really satisfying to sing and play. Like if you play an instrument and you sing along. <laughs> He syncopates his vocals against his picking hand sometimes. And it's not hard to do, but it makes you feel like a genius. <laughs> when you do it, you can feel your body doing two separate things at once. And you feel like you're, you're all of the band rush for a second. You're like, I'm everybody in. Yes, I'm all of them right now just for this one minute. Uh, and it's really fun. And yeah, I didn't notice any difference for dying alone at all. And this one. Yeah, it's there's like a little break. It's almost like I'll stop the world and melt with you. It's like, boo, boo. Yeah. and uh, I think it sounds like uh, Michael McDonald shows up because all of a sudden there's <laughs> like whatever that thing is. It's usually a twangy tremolo guitar. And this is like a bling. It's like an electric. It's like an e uh just shows up. 
it's really weird. And I don't know if it's a guitar with an effect on it or what it is. But And since you brought up that these are, that like promos are fake, do you think they just did that? Like, you, oh, you got to have something different on this. Just uh Oh, just no, I think it, it, <laughs> no, I think, it, yeah. I mean, this was, this was released before. I think it really was a pre-release mix. I just think like it's so uncommon for them to change something at this <laughs> point for like major label records where you hardly ever hear anything different. This is why you own the record. That chord is it that you want to hear what it would have sounded like if Tom Capone ran his guitar through a Doobie Brothers pedal. It happens for 0. <laughs> 0.05 seconds. And uh, oh, there you go. this is also the only time I think like uh, one of the hardcore bands got away with that with saying it's beautiful a bunch of times without making my skin <laughs> crawl because a lot of other people tried. And there you have it. That is the, uh, the Dine Alone can opener promo on Polydor Records from 1992. Uh, so yeah, this is uh, the part where we sum it up. I usually have a little rating system where I say, uh, buy it or actually throw it in the trash. Um, technically quality wise, throw this in the trash, but <laughs> not, not, not really though. But, uh, uh, listen, just listen to it on streaming, pick it up for bargain prices, pick it up for full price or pick it up for collector's prices. Uh, this is a tough one because, you know, in my heart, these are collectors, these are collector songs. I think everybody should own these songs, but the actual physical piece of media um, I am, unfortunately, I have always been priced out of being a quicksand completist. I, uh, I had another rear quicksand seven inch from the manic compression days that I sold long, long ago. Um, I never had a chance to own slip on vinyl. I think, I think I've been priced out of even the represses of that. That's like insanely priced. Um, and I always miss, I don't know. I, now I'm kind of uh, on the up and up when represses come out, but back in the day, I didn't know. So I don't really own anything by quicksand except this now. <laughs> like, I mean, I have like, a t you know, I guess technically, theoretically, I have slip and manic compression on CD somewhere, but it's not like I don't even know where the fuck my CDs are. So uh, I don't even know if I really technically own them, but I probably <laughs> do. But, you know, I'm not like a quicksand completist. I would like to be. I'm just I'm just too poor to be one. Um, so, I mean, if you are, you have to own this. It's like they're two best songs, at least to me. Yeah. Um, like I said, I think a, a, if you don't get it on eBay for five bucks, if somebody puts a bid auction up, it's a 20 to $25 record. Um, I think $20 is like my kind of quality where it's going to sound like shit and 25 to 30 is like a more cleaner copy. I don't know if you really need uh, to pay $30 to hear uh, a e-piano or possibly marimba for a second. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's it's a cool, like I said, it's a cool piece. The, the art is amazing. Uh, so I'm going to still at the end of the day say at least full price for this. Um, if you see this, like, you know, if... Anything $10, $15, I would say this is a no-brainer. Pick it up, especially if you like quicksand and you just want to have like a quicksand oddity in your collection. Mm -hmm. 20 to 25 25 to 30 is a little harder sell for two songs that uh, any quicksand fan has heard 25,000 times. But again, if you are if you're more into oddities, it's worth it. But but yeah, you know, between collector's prices and full price for me. I, I'm not a demos and rarities guy. I don't like to hear yeah. the sketches. <laughs> I want to hear the, I want to see the painting. I don't want to see the sketches. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so I don't, you know, I think the Melinda Beck drawing is worth it. If you display things, if you, if you put, if you hang things up or you display them on shelves, <laughs> this is fine. Like this is definitely worth it for that drawing. Otherwise you get, you know, three seconds of a different chord. Uh, and yeah. <laughs> that's not a lot. Uh, I will, I don't know if this is just the circles I hung out in or the people I know online, but I think for a while it got kind of common to downplay this band or to distance yourself from it. Maybe even talk about them disparagingly a little bit, like try and sum them up like they were groove metal or something like that. And I, I want, I just want it written down that I always love Slip <laughs> and I've never backed down <laughs> from, from being a part of Slip Nation. It's like a perfect album. 
I'm always in the mood to hear it. I always feel good. I always like sink right back into it. And I don't really understand or enjoy the last 30 years of Walter's career. Uh, but he seems like a good guy. He seems like a gem of a human. Looks like he eats right. Does a lot of yoga. He's he's uh like in his fifties and still looks looks fine. So I bless his journey, even if it doesn't match mine. And I envy the fact that all those Gorilla Biscuits reunions took place during a time when we were minting full blooded Nazis again for the first <laughs> time in a while. And Gorilla Biscuits got to play famous anti-Nazi songs in front of those people. So, you know, even if Civ occasionally blew it with some All Lives Matter shit, I envy <laughs> that they got to, like, uh, be first in line to protest some Nazis. But so this is a mandatory 20 flying shark planes out of five because it's a perfect early quicksand, but also a really dumb major label promo item that nobody needs to own at, at all in any capacity. <laughs> Uh, so there you go. There you have it. You've uh, you've probably made up your mind about quicksand, uh, you know, minutes before this because uh, you've probably heard them. And yeah. And if this is your first time hearing quicksand, holy shit! How, how, why are you listening to this podcast? Because uh, <laughs> find us. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty crazy. I know there's always people that are like, oh, I yeah. listen to you guys, but I don't really know any of the music. So, but yeah, mm-hmm. you should uh, you should definitely stop this podcast and go on Spotify or wherever you listen to music and just listen to all of slip at least 50 times, uh, <laughs> until our next episode next week. But, um, outside of that, yeah, next week, I, like I said, Pat, Pat sent us some records. We're going to be doing a pet record next week. And, uh, until then, Scott, do you have any last words? <laughs> okay. Fuck Charlie Daniel. Fuck Charlie.
Oh